Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Southern Appalachian Herbal Podcast. I'm Judson Carroll, and I'm an herbalist. I'm also a wild crafter, a gardener, and herb grower. I'm coming to you from high atop the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina, just a stone's throw from the Tennessee line, overlooking the Tisca National Forest, absolutely surrounded by the bounty of God's green earth. I spent most of my life wandering these mountains and learning about plants from the old timers and all sorts of characters. On this show, we'll talk about herbs and how to use them, how to find them, how to grow them, how to make preparations. We'll talk about a lot of things. We can also talk about permaculture, homesteading, foraging, and living off the land. Most anything, really. You can email me at southernappalachianherbs at gmail.com if you have a question or a comment. You can also contact me through the Grow Network, where I'm a regular contributor and a moderator for the forums. And my blog is, of course, Southern Appalachian Herbs at blogspot.com. All right, y'all. I'm going to sit my guitar down. Let's talk about herbs. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the show. This week, I'm going to continue what has so far become a very popular series of going through medicinal herbs by their plant families. Uh, this time, we're going to do the buttercups, the ranunculaceae. These are some of the most powerful herbs in all of herbal medicine. Uh, they're some of the most common that you'll see if you're out foraging or wildcrafting. And they also, this family also contains some of the most poisonous plants you're going to run across. So it's very important to know these herbs, know their uses, know which ones to use and which ones not to use, when, why, and how. But before we do that, I want to address a topic that's been in the news this week. I guess it's probably on, if not a daily basis, at least several times a week. Someone asked me, why aren't you on Facebook or Instagram? You know, you could promote your books, you could promote your uh, radio, your podcasts, your blog, everything, and reach so many more people. And the uh, thing is, I was. I was on uh, Facebook for uh, a couple of years, I guess, if not longer. And, um, well, then an interesting thing happened, didn't it? Uh, it was probably last, I'm going to say February. I was on a uh, permaculture group on Facebook where I thought people were my friends. <laughs> is there any such thing as a friend on Facebook, right? There's a little bit of irony for you. The... COVID-19 virus was just starting to spread over here. I believe uh, President Trump had put in the travel ban from China at that point. And um, no one was really saying yet, at least that I was aware of, that maybe this virus had come out of the um, Wuhan lab, the uh, virology lab over there, where they actually spend their time developing deadly COVID viruses to infect people. I think they were still saying it came from a bat in the market. They were saying that up until this last week, weren't they? Well, anyway, 
comes to this permaculture forum, and, and we were, people were talking about it. And I said, you know, look, uh, I studied Chinese medicine for about a decade. Uh, Kung Fu, Tai Chi Chuan, Qigong, Twina. I've had so many good Chinese friends. I love the Chinese people and culture. And without a doubt, their food is fantastic. I mean, I will eat some Szechuan just above just about anything. Or some good Hunan for that, that matter. Now I'm getting hungry, so I better move on. <laughs> I said, but look, you know, as great as the Chinese people are, as fascinating as their culture is, as fascinating as their history is, and it is. I mean, I'm basically a Taoist at heart. I mean, uh, Taoism is more of a philosophy than a religion. I'm an Orthodox practicing Catholic, but I'm also uh, someone that seeks the balance of nature and um, goes by the natural patterns. I avoid stress because I look for those patterns and follow those patterns, and that reduces the difficulties in life. That's pretty much the heart of the philosophy of Taoism. I said, uh, regardless of this, you know, they're under a brutal communist dictatorship. The Chinese government is not nice. It is not good. It's killed millions of people. I mean, from forced abortions to the imprisonment of Uyghurs to organ harvesting, you know, not really good. And there certainly are adversary on the world stage. They try to hurt us economically. They uh, counterfeit our technology and our products and boast about it. I mean, no one's hiding that. They, you know, they say they are our adversary, our opponent, our competitor. We all know it. No one can honestly deny that, right? And I said, well, you know, all right, so maybe this virus started in that laboratory. And it was probably an accident. And yeah, I still think it was an accident. I don't think it was deliberate. This, just this last week, the Wall Street Journal reported that back in um, 2019, several employ employees at that uh, Wuhan lab of virology had come down with COVID-like symptoms. I mean, yeah, that makes sense, right? That's where they're actually developing and working with those viruses. Uh, we know China quarantined that whole area of Wuhan. Satellite images show there was no traffic going in and out. There was no cell uh, tower activity. Everything shut down. But they continued to spread the virus all over the world, either through gross negligence or maybe because they thought their economy was going to take a hit, everybody else should as well. I don't know. But I just positioned, I, I posited a question. And you know what happened? <laughs> uh, I must have tripped some algorithm. Uh, because my Facebook account was immediately locked. I could not access, I could not type anything, I could not post anything on my account or in the group forum I was in. At the same time, dozens and dozens of people started calling me a racist and a bigot. And I couldn't respond to them. I don't have a racist or bigoted bone in my body. I don't know that there is such a thing as a racist or bigoted bone, but I don't have the thought in my head, if you want to put it that way. I'm, I ask a simple question. And suddenly everyone's cussing me out, calling me horrible names, and I could not respond. And I was locked out of my account for several days. And um, this was before President Trump had even said that the virus may have come from that lab. As far as I know, I was one of the first people to actually ask this question and shut down immediately. As soon as I got back into my Facebook account, I canceled it. Now, as of this last week, Facebook is actually admitting they did that. And they're not going to do it anymore. Why? Because now that the election's over and that all the entire news cycle isn't about making Donald Trump look bad, 
that has been the news cycle for the past four and a half years now. Now, uh, even President Biden and Dr. Fauci, little Mel Brooks character, um, admits that it could have come from the Institute of Virology. Okay, they're going to look into it now. They're going to investigate it. And suddenly it's okay to ask questions again. Now, here's the thing that really bothers me. You know, someone said it the other day, and I thought it was such a good point. said when he was a kid, asking questions was a sign of intelligence. Now you're not allowed to ask questions. Think about all the things you can't even question. That's not leading to finding the truth. That's not leading to investigating theories. That's not leading to new developments and advances in humanity. That's taking us backwards when every single thing becomes a political issue. I mean, how, why would a virus ever be political in the first place? I never got that. But to at least half the country, it became a political issue. And everything Dr. Fauci said, even though he may have said one thing one day, like you don't need to wear a mask, and a couple weeks later said you should be wearing a mask, his word was gospel. <laughs> everything Donald Trump said was a crazy lie. They're even repeating today that he told people to inject themselves with bleach. That never happened. Look up the quote. But they're still saying it on the news. Anyway, you should be able to question whether that's true or not. You should be able to question anything. Was it, yeah, maybe Jefferson? Because who said, question even the existence of God, because if there would be a God, he wants you to explore and know who he is. You should be able to question anything and everything. You know, it just, like I said, this was never a political issue for me. I think it's your business whether you want to get vaccinated or not. I don't think anybody has the right to tell you what to do with sticking a needle in your body. I think it's your business whether you want to wear a mask or not. I still don't understand how if old underwear and a pair of jeans don't hold your farts in, they still smell, <laughs> that a cloth mask is going to filter out microscopic viruses when you inhale and exhale. It doesn't make sense to me, but we haven't been able to ask that question for a year and a half. I would wish people were coming back and getting some sense, but I got a feeling this is just another political ploy, and Facebook is probably reeling from having lost so many of its users in the past few months, and I'm one they've lost. I'm never going back. So, what I'm going to tell y'all is, if you like what I do, and you're on Facebook, I'm not going to question you. You have your reasons for being on there. Maybe that's how you communicate with your friends and family. It's your business. It's your decision, like everything I say. You know, my disclaimer is, don't believe a word I say. Investigate it. Learn. Do your own research. So, if you make your choice to be on Facebook, and you think anything that I've said or written is valuable, and you want to share it, please do so. Just give me an attribution. Just put my name on it. Link it back to the source, to my website, blog, or podcast, or whatever it happens to be. That's fine. There's no reason for me to go on there. If you want to do it, go for it. Something I never even used Instagram. I don't think any of my stuff could really be used on Instagram. But if there's some way to use Instagram to promote something that you think I've said that was worthwhile, do so. I appreciate it. So, moving on. <laughs> I guess it's my little rant for the day. It's not so much of a rant as it is a philosophical question of why is it we can't ask questions any longer? I don't understand that. Anyway, let's talk about the Buttercup family. First of all, when you think of buttercups, um, you probably think of those beautiful little yellow buttercups in the field that are so shiny and nice. 
you know, don't eat those, don't use those. Actually, a lot of times when someone lays down in the grass and they wake up with a red, puffy, sore, swollen face, it's irritants from those buttercups. The buttercup family contains many different useful herbs. And before we go on, let's talk about the plant families. Identifying plants by their botanical family is really the easiest way to learn to identify plants. I've talked before about how a good field guide doesn't always have a lot of colorful pictures. It has keys where you go through and you say, okay, how many petals does it have? You know, how many stamens does it have? What are the, what's the leaf arrangement, et cetera, et cetera. And you figure out what it is like that. Well, that's also how you identify plant families. And one of the best books to get started with this is Botany in a Day by Thomas J. Elpel. You're not going to work through this book in a day. I don't know why it's called Botany in a Day. It should be called Botany in about six months of taking it out and using it. But it's a great book. It's uh, certainly better than anything I ever learned in school. I, I guarantee that. If they had taught me to identify plants as opposed to genetics, I mean, I don't really need to know all the insides and outs of how plants cross and breed and develop. I really just wanted to learn how to identify a buttercup, for instance. That would have been far more valuable for me. Now, for someone else who had an interest in, you know, biology, that may have been more beneficial to them. For some reason, my botany classes were all biology classes and no botany whatsoever. And, you know, I did learn a lot of good stuff that I use in the garden as far as um, cross-breeding plants. Nothing as far as actually identifying a plant. But anyway, moving right along. <laughs> All right, so the, uh, it says, uh, well, this is from Botany Today. It says, for the purpose of identification, the most accurate pattern to look for is the multiple simple pistils at the center of the flower. Simple means detached, by the way. Individual. They're not detached from the plant, but they're not connected to each other. In more advanced plant families, there's typically only one pistil, the result of a reduction in numbers along with the fusion of several pistils to make a single compound pistil. A flower with multiple pistils is very likely a buttercup, but could potentially be confused with species from the rose family. And that's true. I definitely think you should learn to identify the roses first. So the best ones to start out identifying are probably your roses, uh, your mints. Mints are easy. They always have the square stem and um, you know, the position of the leaves is just very obvious. Uh, the flowers are very obvious as well. And then um, maybe your... Um, your brassicas, your cruciferous family, your mustards and, you know, all that because uh, they're very easy to identify. But the buttercup family, the ranunculaceae, uh, good to identify because they can be so very poisonous, some of them. And some, just like the regular old buttercup, can be irritating. So let's talk about the first one. This is one I've discussed before. One of the very, well, probably the most poisonous member of this family is aconite. Aconitum, monkshood, wolfsbane, whatever you want to call it. Okay, water hemlock may be the most poisonous, <laughs> but um, aconite's pretty darn close in there. Um, but aconite is also a useful herb. I don't think you should ever take this plant internally. Um, you know, there may be, there may be a reason someone would for some reason. I, I think it's too dangerous, it's at least using a straight plant tincture or a raw part of the plant. The root is the most toxic. But as I've said before, you can make a tincture of this plant and apply it externally to skin that isn't broken. You never want to put in a cut or anything. And it will basically just numb it out. It'll block the signal of the nerve to the brain 
signaling pain or really any feeling at all in that nerve. So it's really good for nerve pain. Yeah, but do be careful with it. Um, wolfsbane, it's called that because it used to be used as a poison. They would dip arrows in it to kill wolves. So it'll take down a wolf on the tip of an arrow. It'll take you down pretty quick, too. All right, so the uh, next one is Actea, baneberry. Now, this one grows all over the place in the mountains. It is, in its younger stages, can look a little bit like angelica. When it grows up, it is one of the freakiest-looking plants. It has these red stems with white berries that have little black dots on the ends that look like doll's eyes. The common name for baneberry or Actea is doll's eyes. Um, there's a white doll's eyes, there's a red doll's eyes. It is a freaky, scary-looking plant, but it's actually very useful. Um, Baneberry is similar to black cohosh um, in its actions, uh, but it uh, doesn't have estrogenic compounds. Uh, poultice or liniment of the used root is anti-inflammatory, analgesic for sprains and swelling. It also has some cardiac glycosides that uh, can be useful. Um, another one is called Adonis. Uh, Adonis contains cardiac glycosides. It's similar to foxglove, but not as strong. Um, that means it flows and strengthens the heartbeat. Very important to know such plants as that, whether for long-term use or almost kind of as a first aid. But again, you know, too much could be dangerous. These plants do have that toxicity to them. Anemone is one I've mentioned before. Anemone is a very important herb called pasc flower. It can stimulate wound healing. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. But the tincture is used to slow and strengthen pulse and respiration. That's according to the late herbalist Michael Moore. Again, much like the Adonis plant that we talked about just a minute ago. But what's um, really interesting about anemone is it seems to take people out of what's called a fuge state um, when someone's in a rage or a, a bad funk, a depression. Um, some people even use it for PTSD. It's been described as healing fractured emotions or trauma, emotional trauma. It's good for... Um, bringing people out of shock, if they're in shock. Again, as my friend Tori always reminds me, this is not one to play around with. It should be used by professionals. You need to really investigate it because it can be toxic. But it is an incredibly useful plant. According to Culpepper, the juice uh, in the nose could cure congestion. Uh, it's diaphoretic and diuretic. 
um, means it helps break a fever and reduce fluids. But it does, like I said, it contains depressant alkaloids could be dangerous at misuse. So that's another one you just want to be careful about and really learn about. But it's one of the most useful herbs we have. Uh, columbine. Columbine is a, one I talked about a few weeks ago. It's a very popular ornamental. But the leaves and flowers are edible. There is a risk of toxicity, uh, probably more in the roots and seeds. It can also be used as a stimulating poultice. Kalfa, which is marsh marigold, can be eaten as a salad or pot herb. It's acrid enough to stimulate mucus flow through the body. And it contains berberine. Now, remember last week we talked about berberine, which is in golden seal, which is also a member of this family, uh, which is in um, organ grape and barberry. It's a uh, bitter that stimulates the digestive juices, good for the liver and the gallbladder and the pancreas. It um, is antiseptic and helps heal wounds. Um, it's good for the, as a sinus wash. It takes, help take out the uh, inflammation of the sinuses. So that's a good one, of course. <laughs> now, uh, semi-suffuga, better known as black cohosh. Black cohosh is one of the most popular herbs often used in um, estrogen formulas for postmenopausal women. It is a peripheral vasodilator, anti-inflammatory, antispasmodic, and sedative. Um, it's especially useful for dull aches and muscles or menstrual cramping. The root contains estrogenic compounds useful to lessen the surges of the luteinizing hormone and related hot flashes during menopause. And that's how it's mostly used these days, and it is one black cohosh and blue cohosh are both um, often over-harvested and under pressure. So I would recommend you grow this one in your garden. It's a pretty plant and uh, very useful. You're going to love it. That calming, relaxive, sedative property is uh, very useful if you don't mind the estrogenic properties. So it's a good one for women and uh, good for men if you don't worry about getting estrogens in your diet. I avoid such things. I don't uh, except for sometimes some red clover because red clover is good for allergies. Clematis, another very popular ornamental plant, often called virgin's bower. Uh, tea of the plant acts as a vasoconstrictor on the brain lining, but it also a dilator of the blood vessels. It can be taken from migraine headaches. Plant used externally as a stimulating poultice. It is listed as diuretic and diaphoretic. So clematis, um, there's some growing up the neighbor's mailbox right now. <laughs> it's it's a very it's one you're gonna see everywhere and Good for migraines. That's, you know, another great tool to have in your toolbox. Coptis is gold thread. I mentioned that one a couple, well, it was last week when I was talking about um, herbs for allergies because coptis can be used interchangeably with golden seal. Coptis is also called canker root. The roots contain the bitter alkaloid berberine, like its well known and overharvested cousin, golden seal. It may be used in the same way, but take care to avoid overharvesting it. Gold thread has a long history of use in treating cold sores, hence the common name of canker root. Delphinium, another very pretty plant, also known as larkspur. Larkspur. Someone asked me yesterday, they said, when you say the names of flowers, could you enunciate more clearly? <laughs> hey, I'm from North Carolina. We talk straight through the nose. If you don't believe me, listen to a Randy Travis song. Um, I will try, though. Larkspur or delphinium. A vinegar or rubbing alcohol tincture of this plant is used for lice. 
that do not apply it to highly irritated skin or the toxic alkaloids may be absorbed by the body. Now, hydrastis is golden seal, one of the most famous uh, overused plants, one of the most valuable plants. I strongly suggest you grow this one in your garden because it is under pressure everywhere it grows in the wild. It's like um, ginseng. And most people that go out and dig ginseng also harvest golden seal. And it's one of those plants we've almost loved to death. So you can get some golden seal seeds from strictly medicinal herbs. Strictly Medicinal Seeds, I guess is the uh, proper name of that company. Uh, it's one of the best. I'm sure there are other sources, too. Etsy tends to be a very good uh, source for buying herb seeds online. But Strictly Medicinal has been in business for several decades now. They have the widest selection of herb seeds. Um, they don't have the lowest prices, but they probably have the highest quality. So look for some uh, Golden Seal. And that's Hydrastus. Golden seal is a native to the eastern states. It contains the bitter alkaloid berberine, also found in Coptis, and the related barberry family. A tea of the powdered rootstock is astringent, astringent antiseptic, diuretic, and laxative. Uh, tea of the powdered root is very effective antiseptic and anti-inflammatory at the onset of a sore throat. The fresh plant is acrid. Snuffing the powder up the nose will relieve congestion. It has a, vasoco a vasoconstrictor effect. Excess consumption can overstimulate the nervous system, producing, producing nervous convulsions, miscarriage, and excessive buildup of white corpuscles in the blood. So again, that's one in the um, buttercup family that even though it has been historically uh, one of the most popular herbs used in the United States, can be very dangerous if misused. So always be careful with these um, and don't take them. Don't, don't take golden seal if you're pregnant. Uh, you should probably avoid most herbs when you're pregnant. Okay. Um, let's see. Oh, just plain old buttercup. Now the seeds and grains of some species of buttercup are edible. I don't find that to be the case. <laughs> they are incredibly acrid. I have not found a mild buttercup. I would leave them alone. Cows usually don't eat them. I don't eat them either. Uh, but the plant does have some diaphoretic and antispasmodic property. Thalictrum, thalictrum, meadow root. Leaves are edible raw or cooked. The root contains some berberine like golden seal. A tea of the root is used for colds, and a poultice is used for rheumatism. Meadow root is being stated as a possible cancer drug. And uh, let's see, trollius, which is globe flower. Like other members of the family, the root and plant of globe flower have a rubefacient property when fresh, but lose this property when dry. And that's what I was talking about when I said how when people oftentimes you lay down in the grass on a grassy meadow and you wake up with a red, irritated face or back of your arm, some sensitive part of your skin, your neck maybe, uh, came in contact with a buttercup. Buttercups are rubefacient. They redden the skin. They heat the skin. Now, sometimes that's actually useful. It can be what's called a counter-irritant, much like stinging nettle. If you had bad arthritis pain and you stung yourself with stinging nettle, the arthritis pain would ease off. Well, there are a couple reasons for that. Um, stinging nettle is very similar to a bee sting. It does have some anti-inflammatory properties. But a counter-irritant, or just like uh, taking a cayenne pepper salve and rubbing it on 
eventually makes things hurt less. Well, the counter irritant kind of distracted the mind. It helps um, exhaust the chemicals, the nerves used to communicate the sensation of pain to the brain. So counter irritants are very useful. Now, the last thing I want to discuss about this family, I'm going to turn to a page or two from my new book, <laughs> co-written with Jelanta Whitted. Is the herbs and weeds of Father Johann Kunzel. He loved buttercups. This was one that he made a great deal of use of that mm, we really don't so much here in the United States. What Father Kunzel said about the buttercups and their use. He said, everyone knows the creeping buttercup, ranunculus, with its five golden petals, like everybody knows the tax collector. <laughs> it is as unpopular as the tax, as the tax collector. I think me and Father Kunzel have gotten along real well. <laughs> the cattle don't like it either, and they leave it to grow, and yet it is very useful in the meadow. The grass in the meadow where buttercup grows is considerably stronger than without it. The gloriously radiant blossoms of this weed reflect the light back onto the surrounding grass, and so give the grass more strength. The yellow buttercup species have the strength in their roots, which draw out blisters. I knew a man who suffered a lot from gout. This man had been in bed for over a year and who cured himself with buttercup roots by crushing them and applying them on the affected areas. Soon large blisters formed, which he then pierced, whereupon the substance of the disease ran out and the pain subsided. Onion poultices would have done the same thing with much less pain. Now that's a very interesting use for buttercup that I have not found in other sources. He goes on to say the white buttercup, which is also called the common water crowfoot that grows in wet meadows, is a wonderful ornamental plant that has a very pleasant smell and is called Magdalena flower by the country folk because it is usually be found in beautiful bloom during their festival in July. Those who make a pilgrim pilgrimage to Einsendein, I'd have to ask Jolanta how to pronounce that one. Einsendein, I don't speak German, as you know. Via the mountain Etzel in July will find this flower in great quantities. The lovely anemones belong to this family. The white buttercups can be found in large quantities in sunny or nutrient meadows and on the edges of forests and in forest clearings. Internally is not used because of its sharpness. It is used, however, externally against freckles by putting the flowers into alcohol, and then you can wash the face with its tincture. I frankly like freckles, but if you, if you don't, that's one way to get rid of them, perhaps. The blue anemone, anemone hepatica, known as hepatica, which has beautiful leaves, nicely formed in three parts, is more widely used. They are used for jaundice and liver disease of all kinds and can be found in our liver tea. The gardeners plant this wonderful garden anemone, which requires a dry, sunny place. The yellow marsh marigold also belongs to this family. They are called Easter flowers and are used to dye Easter eggs. The ancient saw in the five large golden leaves an image of the risen Savior and its five wounds. The columbine thrives on a sunny, nutrient-poor meadows and is grown in gardens in all colors. Herbs and blossoms are beneficial for all liver, liver ailments and edema. They are boiled in red wine and afterward the wine is strained and kept in bottles. The patient takes a sip of it in the morning on an empty stomach and in the evening before going to bed. Same potion is also used to strengthen the heart. Meadowstar, which is Hecaria verna, is a very lovely small plant and can be found in damp meadows. 
yellow flower resembles a star. The whole plant is used only externally as a poultice for gout and rheumatism by drawing blisters like buttercup. But only when you use it fresh, it also heals hemorrhoid ulcers when applied. That sounds painful, but um, I guess it's worse than the disease. I mean, it's not as bad as the disease. So, Our well-known old man's beard, which he's talking about clematis, not talking about the moss old man's beard. Um, he's talking about the flower we discussed earlier, clematis. These graceful climbing plants also belong to this group. They tend to creep up on top of trees and form a wonderful ornament with their white flowers in the summer and their large white woolly seed heads in the autumn. Country folk use them use this tough herb to make wreaths for supporting tree branches and the like. The boys make their first attempts and smoke the hollow dry stalks. I did not know that. Uh, old man's beard leaves fleshly, freshly placed in the shoes and walking on them all day will alleviate gout pain and heal the corns. So before we learned that clematis was good for migraines, now we know it's good for gout and corns. So I think this is uh, really fascinating. Um, I always turn back to the German folk medicine as being very common sense, very practical. Uh, also love the way they write. But this is, we can use the buttercups in herbal medicine far more than we do. Um, not just the anemones and golden seals, but they're all worth exploring and they're definitely worth identifying. Um, so you don't eat the wrong ones by mistake. Think sure the wrong ones by mistake. Because you're only going to make one mistake with wolf spain. Seriously. Aconite is very important. All right. So, again, the uh, book I was referencing in the beginning was Botany in a Day by Thomas J. Elpole. There are two editions, one with color photos, one with line drawings. I have the one with the line drawings. It's just as good. You can usually find it used for a lot less than a new one with the color photos. The other is uh, The Herbs and Weeds of Father Johan Kunzel. And I will have uh, the I'll have the links in the show notes so you can um, either buy my book or um, find uh, Mr. Elpel's book. So, all right, y'all, have a great week. It is just a, a nice, cool day. We've had such hot ones here lately, and it's cooled off, and it, it feels really good. It makes me want to get out in the woods, and uh, maybe I'll do that in a little bit. So, remember, stay curious, exploring those plants, stay safe. And question everything. It, the most dangerous thing is groupthink. When everyone thinks the same and is punished for stepping out of line. Um, in the last century, that led to over 100 million deaths of innocent people. Probably a whole lot more if we were to extrapolate at that and uh, see, include the lives of unborn babies, for instance. So y'all have a great week, and I'll talk with you next time. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or condition. Nothing I say or write has been evaluated or approved by the FDA. I'm not a doctor. The U.S. government does not recognize the practice of herbal medicine, and there is no governing body regulating herbalists. Therefore, I'm really just a guy who studies herbs. I'm not offering any advice. I won't even claim that anything I write or say is accurate or true. I can tell you what herbs have been traditionally used for. I can tell you my own experience and if I believe in herbs help me. I cannot nor would I tell you to do the same. If you use an herb anyone recommends, you are treating yourself. You take full responsibility for your health. 
Humans are individuals and no two are identical. What works for me may not work for you. You may have an allergy, a sensitivity, an underlying condition that no one else even shares and you don't even know about. Be careful with your health. By continuing to listen to my podcast or read my blog, you agree to be responsible for yourself, for your own research, make your own choices, and not to blame me for anything ever.